0: Philippians chapter 4, please. We're going to begin reading right there at verse number 1. Again, I want to thank you again for coming and choosing to worship with us this morning, uh, our our gathering here this morning. But look there at Philippians chapter 4, Paul's letter to the, to the Philippians there, verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Judas and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with my other and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse six says, Be careful for nothing. But in everything be by prayer, And supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much, Lord, that we can do all things through you, Lord. We thank you uh, for the cross. We thank you that you were obedient all the way to the end, Lord, and you carried our sin all the way to the grave, Lord. We're so very thankful, Lord, that you paid it in full. And, Lord, help us this morning as as we look into your text this morning, Lord, to see you and to see you high and lifted up. Lord, help us um, to commit to you, to commit to, to press forward, Lord, to, to stand fast into, into this new year, Lord. Help us to surrender, Lord, so that you will enable us to do these things that you teach us to do here in your word. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd be with Lisa, be with the kids across the way, the nursery workers, and all that we do this morning, be with those downstairs and the fellowship hall, Lord. All that we do this morning, Lord, maybe, maybe do it for you. May we see you high and lifted up, Lord, meet with us in a very special way, Lord. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, if you remember from last week, we spent some time in in this same chapter, uh, beginning right there in verse number one. And that verse, verse number one, served as sort of a guidepost um, to our sermon. And we're going to use that same foundation this morning. Verse 1 again says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And we shorten it like we did last week. Paul is saying, therefore, my brethren, stand fast in the Lord. Persevering and so forth. And from this summary, we derived our sermon uh, title again this morning, Standing Fast for the Lord. Standing fast, of course, speaks of perseverance. It speaks of stay, keep keeping keeping on keeping on. It speaks of staying the course. And as the very first sermon of this year, of first Sunday of this year, it I think it's quite fitting because you and I need to stay the course for Christ. He asked us to stay the course for Him. He he, he is an imperative to us, and and really not that He depends on us. He doesn't depend on us. He he doesn't need anything of us. The the psalmist, if my if my memory serves, was David. He says, "My goodness doesn't extend to God. His His goodness extends to me." So we need God. We don't. He don't need us. So he doesn't need us. But he does. He has done a lot for us. I mean, there's no one person that's done more for us than Jesus Christ. And and because of that, we truly be, depend on Him. Remember, at the end of verse number or chapter three, rather. The Bible tells us that He's going to change our vile body to be fashioned like unto His glorious body. I mean, that's something to look forward to. That means no aches and pains, no colds, um, and, and, you know, n- none of that. You know, he will change our vile body to be facen- fashioned like unto His glorious body. And here in this chapter, chapter 4, under the inspiration of God, Paul gave this Philippian church multiple tools, if you will, to enable them to continue staying the course to continue standing, uh, standing fast in the Lord. Just in this chapter alone, uh, if you were to take a a pencil, a paper and a pen, a pen and sit down with this chapter, you know, with it all printed out, you can, you can circle how many, how many things he tells us to do that helps us go forward. And there's, there's 12, 13, 14, 15 of them, depending on your perspective. But there's many of them. In verse 2, for example, he encouraged the Philippian church to be of the same mind in the Lord. We talked about that last week. In verse 3, he reminded them that all of their service was together in the Lord. Verse 4, we have an imperative to always rejoice in the Lord. And in verse 5, we are taught, as we talked again about last week, that our moderation, that our submission to the Lord in all things, mind you, should be known to all men. People should look at us and see that we are Submitted to the Lord, crucified. And then in verse six is which which is where we'll begin our study this morning, he again writes, Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be be made known unto God. So together with last week, with the points that we pulled out from the text last week, for us to continue standing fast. In the Lord, we are to be united in the Lord. We are to serve together in the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord. We are to be moderate in the Lord. And then from this verse here, verse 6, I, I made it in a words this way, Have we are to have faith in the Lord. Be careful for nothing. Now, by having faith, I want to point out that I'm not referring to the faith required for us to receive salvation. That is, of course, by faith, by grace through faith, But I am speaking to Christians this morning. We are Christians. Uh, If you're not a Christian, we'll talk about that here in a moment briefly. But we are speaking to Christians. In fact, this chapter, this verse, this whole epistle was written to believers. It's written to the church. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. He's writing to the saints this message. Every Sunday morning message is really primarily to God's people. So by faith, I'm not referring to the faith required for salvation. I'm speaking to Christians. This book, this letter was written to those who have already realized that in every area of their life, we fall short of God's glory. Right? We can all raise our hands on that. We all fall short of God's glory, and we fall short of God's expectations. And in our deepest sense, as a Christian, we must know, we must realize that we actually deserve hell. We actually deserve to be eternally separated from a holy God. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So all of that is really not something some preachers made up. That's the truth of God's word. If he's, or Romans 3.23 again says, for all have sinned. That's all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and dead in our sins. But again, Romans 5, 8 says that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, he died for us. He reconciled us. When we were dead in sins, God quickened us. He made us alive with Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Um, this is salvation. If you're saved this morning, I trusted that you are, never get over the fact that God became man and God paid your sin debt. Let that be your driving force today, tomorrow, and throughout the rest of your life. God saved you. You know, realizing his own depravity and need for redemption, the Philippian jailer. Back in Acts chapter 16, asked Paul how to be saved. And Paul replied in verse number 3 of chapter 16, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I love simplicity. And to this jailer and his family and many other believers in Philippi, Paul commands them in this brief epistle not to be overly concerned about anything, but to give everything to the Lord. Don't be concerned about anything, but to give everything to the Lord. Look at that verse again. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. As stated last week, the word Paul used for careful means to be troubled with care over the future outcome of of a certain event. Um, It means to be anxious, if you will. It's characterized... Uh, or it can be characterized as somebody like, you know, I remember as a child, my teacher would say, don't be a worrywart. Y'all have probably heard that a couple of times. That probably doesn't translate in German, though. So, um, but don't be a warrior. Uh, don't be one that worries. You can be a warrior, um, but um, don't be one that worries. Don't be anxious. And depending on our individual perspectives of in this life, there may be many things for us to be anxious about going into this new year, whether it's financial issues, whether it's family issues whether it's maybe on the big screen the probability of a world war, maybe that concerns us, or maybe it's just simply the relentlessness of our daily agendas, in and out and every day. Don't be anxious about those things. And whatever the case may be, having anxiety about anything is not the way to stand fast in the Lord. These are Paul's words. These are God's words. It's not what it means to have faith in the Lord. You could could argue it's on the spectrum of the opposite, we are not to be anxious. Now, before we get to the rest of this verse, we cannot overlook the fact that right before Paul wrote in so many words to not worry about things, look at the previous how the previous verse ends. He wrote that the Lord is at hand and at the end of verse 5. So, in fact, if... If we were to remove the verse divisions, we know they're added in there. Paul didn't write verse number two, verse number three. He just wrote a letter. He didn't separate it by chapters or anything. So if we were to remove the verse divisions and use sentence structure alone, the Lord is at hand is a standalone sentence followed by be careful for nothing. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. So our takeaway is that the greatest and most significant thing in our future is that the Lord is at hand. That's what we look forward to. Jesus will return. It's actually a common truth recorded throughout this book here, this letter to the Philippians. So this epistle, and really all of Paul's epistles, in some way, to one extent or another, encourage his readers to not lose sight of the Lord's return. That keeps us focused. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul wrote that he was confident that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, how long? Until the day of Jesus Christ. And then again in verses 9 and 10, we read that Paul prayed for their love and their knowledge to abound. Why? So that they may be sincere and without offense. How long? Until the day of Christ. In chapter 2, Paul wrote about how every knee will soon bow in the future before Jesus Christ and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, looking forward in chapter 3, he again wrote about our citizenship in heaven. We talked about that last week. And specifically states that we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in verse 5, he says the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Every chapter, he speaks about something, about the Lord returning. You know, an old preacher once told me that one of the greatest differences between mundane churches compared to those who experience the fires of revival is the bold preaching of our Lord's return. It's the people's looking for God's return. I asked a different preacher who was older than him by about 10 years. This preacher, is, this was about 10 years ago, and he was 90 then, so I don't know if he's with the Lord yet. But I said, how was the secret? He'd been preaching for 60 years. Like, what's the secret to staying forward and and, and staying at it? And he's like, keep looking for the Lord. Keep looking for the Lord. He will return. Friends, as sure as the sun came up this morning, our Savior is coming back. He will return for His bride. Before the end of 2024, we may all be kneeling at the feet of Jesus in heaven. We could have even glorious bodies like our Savior before I get done preaching this morning. Oh, how great would that be? And what greater place to be found than to be worshiping together with Jesus when the rapture happens. Never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of that. Jesus said in John 14, 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, he says, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. These are not just words. So I think it's safe to say that the more we focus on our Savior's return, the less anxious we will be over the things that have zero eternal value. Focus on him. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but as to be expected as we read through the text here, God doesn't just give us such a tall order, if you will, without teaching us how to accomplish that tall order. And he tells us how to do that. Look at verse six again. Be careful for nothing, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So in some things by prayer. In most things by prayer all things, in everything by prayer. We are to be in constant communication with God. This isn't just asking the Lord to bless the food once a day or three times a day. This is being having a relationship. With, none of us would have a relationship with our significant other if we never spoke to them. We must speak to God. It's real. He is a real person. If you are a Christian, you know that He's real. Speak to Him. Pray to Him. Did you think to pray, as the song says? That word supplication here means to Ask God to supply one's needs. And the word Paul used for prayer is actually connected to worship. It's not the common uh, word used for prayer. It's akin to earnest prayer. It's akin to fervent prayer, um, even, even an out loud prayer. It's the same word used by James in 117 when he, used, when he spoke of those fervent prayers that Elijah uh, prayed for back in, back in the Old Testament. And he gave that as an example for how we as modern Christians should pray. Fervent, worshipful prayer. This is a prayer from the depth of our heart, the deepest part of our heart, from a contrite heart, from a heart that realizes that we don't deserve what we have in Christ. It's prayer from a bended knee, at least spiritually speaking. And putting all that together, we see that the ultimate cure for anxiety Get this now. This is Bible. The ultimate cure for anxiety is not therapy. It's not drugs. It's not some home remedy of exercise and a nice-smelling candle on your on your on your living room table or something like that. All of those things are short-lived and earthly solutions. The answer is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Specifically in this text, an intimate relationship with Him through prayer and worship. We don't need remedies. We need a Redeemer. I certainly understand the world in which we live. I understand that there are some brokenness that comes along and there's a chemical imbalance to this broken society which struggles with real life issues. I understand that. But I challenge you. I think God is challenging us. Give him a chance. Run to him first. Run to God first. Run to Jesus first with all those problems instead of anywhere else. Run to Jesus. Tell him everything. Give it all to him. Don't worry worship. Don't fear. Pray. Don't fret. Be thankful. Don't be anxious. Let your request be made known unto God. Give it to Him. Give it to Him. This is what it means to have faith in the Lord. And you and I cannot stand fast without this kind of faith. And notice what happens when we give our anxiety to God in the next verse. And the peace of God the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think we can safely say that that is probably the opposite of anxiety. Peace. Not just a little bit of peace, not just um, a lot of peace, but a peace that passes, an inexplainable peace. Give all your cares unto God, and he will bless you with an uncomprehendable, incomprehensible peace in your heart and also in your mind. Peace in your heart and mind. Friends, again, these are not just words that Paul wrote. This is what God told him to write. Give our cares to God, and he will give us a peace that will, if I can put it in maybe teenage vernacular, blow you away. A peace that's just amazing, just wow, a wow kind of peace. Does that make sense, Joseph? Praise the Lord. <laughs> First Peter 5, 7 says the, uh, the apostle wrote there to cast all your care upon him, for he, God, Jesus, careth for you. I think we can say that without a doubt, no one cares for you more than God. No one cares for you more than God, which is all the more reason His Word matters to us. Because it's words that we need. As we read on in this wonderful chapter, Paul actually adds some more practical guidance on how to keep standing fast in the Lord. Paul adds, there in verse number eight and nine, he says, finally, my brethren, by the way, he says finally three or four times in there. I think he's the beginning part of Baptist preaching, um, but finally, and over and over again. Over again. But anyway, in verse eight, says, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you all. You know, if we were to personify the eight attributes in this one verse, you see the eight attributes there we have. uh, Looking at the text there, there's truth, there's honesty, there's just or righteousness, there's purity, there's lovely, there's things of a good report or a good reputation, there's virtue, and there's praise. And if we were to personify those eight attributes, they would Ultimately and honestly, only describe one person. And that ain't me. And it ain't you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I that's some Tennessee talk coming out, but it's the Lord. And in this perspective, standing fast in the Lord requires us to actually meditate in the Lord, to meditate on the things of God. Again, Paul lists eight different items to think about. I know I've said this a couple times this morning, but these are not just words, they mean something. These are words from, from our Creator. Eight different things to think about. Again, truth, honesty, just, or righteousness, purity, lovely, a good report, virtue, praise, and God is all of those. Jesus is truth. Jesus is always honest. He's the definition of righteousness. He is completely pure. He is lovely. He has a flawless reputation. He is virtuous. He is praiseworthy and many, many more things. And under the inspiration of God, Paul wrote that we are to think on these things. Therefore, meditation on anything from God, his person, his word, his spirit, anything, any kind of meditation on the things of God helps us stay the course, helps us stand fast. The more any Christian spends his time meditating on God or the things of God, the better off he or she will be, if only due to the simple fact that he or she is not thinking about things contrary to God. It's basic logic, I think. Think about God, which I think is what this verse is speaking of, thinking about things that, that describe God. The Greek word that Paul used for think, as in the phrase think on these things, is actually a quite broad uh, term, a broad definition, and all-encompassing. It talks about bringing everything into our minds. It is a reference to everything we allow in our minds. We choose what we think. We choose what we think. So think about that for a moment. It's a reference to everything that we allow in our minds. And he says, think on these things. Paul wrote that we are to purposely search out these things to think on, not other things. We won't talk too much about those other things, and we won't even touch on every one of these. So I encourage you to look at this passage later and go through all eight of these. But right from the beginning in this text, we see that God is saying whatsoever things are true, let those things sink into your mind, not falsehoods, not things that are untrue. Let things that are true sink into your mind. Think on, think on truth. Don't think on things that are not true. Do not meditate on things that are not true. Do not dwell on things that are not true. I mean, just think about that for a moment. I think that complete compliance just to this first attribute may just greatly reduce all that we dwell on during the day. It might change our perspective on everything. Just following this, just thinking about things. There's a lot of things to think about in the world we live in. There's a lot of people competing for things that they want us to think about. Don't fall into that trap. Think on these things, Paul says. Think on things that are true, not falsehoods. Think on truth. I think, again, Complete compliance to this first attribute may greatly reduce what we dwell on all day long. And not only will we be better enabled to stand fast in the Lord when those storms of life come, we probably will be much happier thinking about these things, thinking about true things. We are to meditate on truth. We'd certainly be less confused thinking about truth. But next, Paul says we are focused on honesty. He says whatsoever things are honest. Truth and honesty, by the way, are not the same thing. Honest is an act. We are to think on those things that are honest. And the word used for honesty is also broader than what usually comes to mind. The Greek word is symnos, and it, of course, means to be honest, but it conveys the idea of what is honorable. As in that which is honest equates to that which is honorable. right? That which is honest equates to honorable, so we are to always be honest, which results in being honorable. And one of the ways that you and I can stay standing in the Lord in 2024 is by dwelling on that which is honorable. It's actually a, a good a good question to ask yourself when you're doing it. My brother, were, when he was here, we were talk about these things and and actually and just in ministry and dealing with people and, and and the world and even other other preachers and stuff like that. You know, and one of the questions that comes to mind it can be it can be true. It can be it can be all those things. It can be completely right. But the question we kept kept coming back to him, and I was, is it honorable to bring it up, at least at this time? Is there any honor in it? We are to be honorable people. It's a good question, again, to ask yourself. If you're about to do something you're pondering, is this honorable? If I bring this up to this person, is it honorable to bring it up, or should I just let it go? Most times I think we'd probably let it go. There is certainly no honor in not telling the truth. Or bearing or being a false witness in word or even in deed and meditating on that which is honest and honorable is a good step to actually being honest and honorable. But notice again that God is continues by saying, Let whatsoever things that are just sink into our mind. Put differently, We are to think about just things. We are to think about righteous things. We are to dwell on holy things. Now, Paul continues with the imperative to meditate on that which is pure, after the just here, pure, lovely, reputable, virtuous, and praiseworthy. But I think we can easily characterize all of those, and even starting from the beginning of these eight things, all under one title of holiness, of holiness. We are to be... Holy, just as he says here in this passage. You know, if there, if there was every verse that tells us that we should control what goes into our mind, it's this one. But Paul also wrote in First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, that we are to cast down imaginations. We are to cast down every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We are to control our minds. Romans 12:2 says we are to renew our minds. And that happens through surrender, of course. But back here in Philippians, he simply goes into detail on what we should be thinking about. Now, we all understand that our minds receive things through the senses, right? Our you know, taste, touch, smell, um, hear and see. So if if we are to control what goes into our our minds, we must control those senses, right? We must control what they pick up. We must control what we taste, touch, smell, hear, and see. And on this premise, the Bible states in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, he says, Be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And with the commitment to have a right heart before God, David wrote, in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before me. I will set no wicked thing before me. I'm not going to do it, David says. And that's a great pattern for us to follow. Don't set wicked things in front of us. Don't look at them. Don't listen to them. Don't touch them. Stay far away from them. The Bible, in another place says, flee from sin. Flee from the devil. Run from youthful lust, Paul told Timothy. You know, God actually commands us to be holy. And I think this is... In my mind, going forward into this year, this is the message I need to hear. I need to be holy because God commanded me to be holy in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It didn't weaken in the New Testament. Actually, it got stronger, our command our command to be holy. And a very large part of being holy is controlling what we think about. We are to be holy people. Oswald Chambers wrote that holiness is the chief end of man, the chief end of man. Another author said this. He wrote that people today are actually afraid of holiness. Christians are afraid of holiness at least more than they are of sinfulness. May that not be said of us. It seems that many Christians are more concerned with liberty than they are with holiness today. It's almost like when we read the Scriptures, we're looking for loopholes in that holiness instead of for how to be holy. And Paul wrote that we are to think about that which is just. We are to think about holiness. We are to allow these eight eight attributes of God to really consume us. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, uh, are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We are to meditate on God and on the things of God. I wonder how many issues of life that you and I experience and the world experience, the world of believers out there, how many issues of life would be greatly reduced by simply committing to just one verse right here in the New Testament. Just one verse. Just make it a commitment. Even if you go into 2024 with only the commitment to commit to verse 8 as a believer, now you need Jesus because you ain't doing it without him. There's that ain't again. But just committing to one verse, I truly believe that there will be many issues greatly reduced in our lives. And putting this passage together with verse number 6, which again states that we are to give everything to God in prayer, it's like, it's like Paul is saying that when we're praying, we need to be all into that prayer. But when we're not praying, think about these things. You know, it's been said that practically speaking, the most important person in the, is the person in front of you. The one that you're having a conversation with. That person should have your attention. How much more true is that with God when we are praying? So when you are praying, be all in. Be attentive. You know, turn, off, turn off the television. Turn off the music. You know, so, so, Do your best to alleviate some of those distractions. Be all in when you're talking to the most important person in the world. Be all in. But when you're not, think about these things. Think on these things. Think on truth. Think on honesty and so forth. Having faith in the Lord and meditating on the Lord are two things that are not absent with those who stay the course. And while, again, there's much more in that chapter, even in that verse, notice, jump down to verse number 10, and we're going to read a few things there. Paul wrote, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Then jump down to verse number 19 which states, God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, there are are a number of ways, I've shared this from the beginning, a number of ways to outline this chapter and even this passage or this group of verses here. But going along with kind of our theme of standing fast in the Lord, this next truth I want to say just simply to be content in the Lord. Just be content in the Lord. If I can even put that simpler, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You know, right before Paul told Timothy, that we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. So having food and raiment, let us be there with content right before that. He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In first Timothy six, six godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, being content in Christ is the true secret of staying the course. That's how we stay the course content in Lord. In verse 11, Paul wrote, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I want to say again that Jesus is enough for us to be content. You know, if we can, if we can liken our walk with him to traveling on a highway, on the Audubon maybe, contentment keeps us from exiting. Contentment keeps us from exiting to get what we Think we might need or want. We exit to eat. We exit to, to get gas or whatever it may be. But in our spiritual walk with God, if we're content, stay on the high road. Because there's nothing better off the high road. Stay. It's better here, right? It's better here. Here in verse 11 again, Paul wrote, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And that's a good lesson to learn, to be content. And by the way, the Apostle Paul is, of course, just like us. He's a sinner saved by grace. God did use him, however, to teach great many things, great doctrine that we we learn most of our doctrine from his writings. So when we learn that he learned something, that should pique our interest. Wait a minute. Did Paul just say, I learned something? Maybe he learned this during his ministry. Who knows? But again, it should pique our attention. He says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I challenge you that he probably didn't learn that as a Pharisee. He learned that in Christ. That word content, it means to be independent of others, something the Stoics of Paul's day prided themselves in. They wanted to be independent. It spoke of self-sufficiency, even in the presence of commotion and chaos. This was was the Stoics, if you will, you know, calm, you know, an oak tree in the storm, you know, we we don't get riled up. But that's not what the Holy Spirit had in mind for Paul and for us. God actually elevates the basic idea of being content here to being content in self, to being content in Christ, to being content in him. Look at verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So maybe we've read that verse a number of times, maybe a couple hundred times in our life, depending on how long we've been believers. But notice again what that says. We are instructed to be full and hungry. Now, if you're sitting at a dinner table and you're full, are you hungry? And if you're hungry, are you full? It's it's the opposite ends of of a spectrum. And physically it seems impossible. Or at least a bit odd. Okay, maybe you're full of the main meal and you want dessert. Uh, Maybe that's what he's talking about. Probably not. So physically it seems impossible. How can I again be full of lunch and want more lunch at the same time? This is obviously not not something we generally do, which is not something you should do anyway. (laughs) However, when we understand this verse in light of being content in Christ, we are to be content with what and who we are in Christ and at the same time want more of Christ. This is part of what Paul was getting at in chapter 3, where he wanted to know Christ. He already knew Christ, and he was content in Christ, but there was so much more to be had in Christ, and he wanted that too. This is how he could forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are before and press toward that mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In this light, we can understand this passage to apply even to physical things that further the cause of Christ, either in our own lives or in the lives of others. So again, with with, with Paul's perspective on the spiritual side of being content in Christ and wanting more, take that apply it practically, physically, we can understand it to apply to physical things that further the cause of Christ, not just sitting at a lunch table wanting another hamburger. I'm not talking about that. i talk about things, material things, uh, in this world, non-eternal things, in this world that further the cause of Christ. In other words, maybe may I can put it this way. I am content. I am fully, I can, as God is my witness, I am content with God's provisions here in the ministry of Home Homeless Baptist Church. I think many of y'all are as well. But at the same time, I am hungry for so much more. I cannot wait for tomorrow. I cannot wait to see what God has for us. And at the basic individual level, at the private personal level, every Christian should be content in the salvation with the relationship they have provided by Jesus Christ, but equal to that contentment should be our hunger for more. Does this seem impossible? It does. It is impossible, at least improbable. Well, that's because I think it is. And that's the point. And it's not something we can accomplish on our own. But you can see in the text here that we're in good company because Paul's in the same boat. Look what he says in the next verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So in addition to learning to be content, he wrote that I can do all things with Christ. I can be full and hungry at the same time with Jesus. So wherever you are in your walk with Christ, wherever we are in our careers or whatever you, whatever you, ha- whatever you think about, whatever it may be, Be content with what God has blessed you with, but keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Be content and be hungry. It's almost like be be content and not be content at the same time. Only in Christ can we do this. Wherever we are in our walk with God, we are to be content and to be hungry, to be full and hungry, knowing all the while, never losing sight of the fact that Jesus is enough. At every level of knowledge we have of him, Jesus is enough. Whether it's a five-year-old trusting Jesus Christ or somebody that's been serving God for 100 years and knows the Bible 100 times more than any of us in here, Jesus is always enough. He's inexhaustible and he's always enough. He is enough. Knowing that he is enough is how we stand fast going forward tomorrow and the next day and the next day throughout the rest of our lives in 2024 and beyond Abounding in Christ makes us that much more able to stand. Knowing he's enough makes us able to stand. Abounding in him makes us able to stand. We are to be content in the Lord. We are to meditate on the things of the Lord. And we are to have faith in the Lord. We are to stand fast in the Lord going forward. And with that said, let's, let's close in a word of prayer this morning.